At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, HVAC peeps? So on the last podcast, we spoke to Rob Capello about freeze dryers. Now, just a little bit of a correction we got to make there. He messaged me afterwards and wanted to correct something. And this is pertaining to R507 because he said it was a great refrigerant that he used inside of the uh, freeze dryers. Now, during the discussion, it was mentioned that it was not a blend. Now, R507, just to make that correction, is a blend. It's an HFC. It's a 50-50 mixture of R125 and R143A. So just to, to make the correction on that. So on this podcast, we have another great guest, returning guest. We have Mario Gomez. He was on the podcast a few months back talking about supermarket refrigeration and kind of the ins and outs and some cool little tidbits towards that niche industry or niche um, within the industry. So he's back now. We're going to talk some high rise um, setups from his experience, from his standpoint, and I'll throw in my experience. And I actually have a little bit of a write up from um, my buddy Travis from LinkedIn who sent me some information, just a little small paragraph, couple paragraphs on how um, a fire system works with a makeup air unit in a high rise building. So I will get into a little bit of that as well because Mario and I had, had a discussion regarding the makeup air side of a high rise and we were kind of back and forth on a few things. So um, that part of the conversation I kind of left out because <laughs> we didn't want to sound like fools because we're like, is it that, is it that? I don't know. But anyway, I have some, um, I, ha I have some good information from my buddy Travis on LinkedIn that wrote me a message actually a few months back. And I remembered, hey, he wrote me that message with some, some half decent or more than half decent, some good solid information in that message that I want to um, share with you guys during this podcast because it pertains to high-rise buildings. Anyway, guys, HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Now, I'm sure 20 years ago, nobody thought that online shopping was going to be this popular. And I'm sure nobody thought online shopping for HVAC tools was going to be this popular. But it is, and True Tech Tools has has the market on it because they've been at it for a while and they were the first to do it. And again, they got incredible sales all over their website. And this sale I'm going to tell you about is for the new Gen 2, second generation, long range, Testo refrigeration smart probes. Now they're on sale right now for two ninety six. 65 that's 15 percent off the regular price now i don't have a promo code for testo stuff at true tech tools but i do have a link if you sign up for that link and then sign into your true tech tools account the price will be actually cheaper when you sign in and you when you look at the specific tool at the gen 2 probes than if you were just a visitor on the site so guys, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you guys are, you guys want that link, reach out to me and I'll, and I'll give it to you. I'm also going to put it in the podcast summary. You can look there as well. Okay. But this is the next generation up to 350 feet. Okay. We got angled, um, transducers for easier access to, to fittings. Okay. Um, I got a set and I'm going to be doing some testing and some work with them. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, guys, check out truetechtools.com. Look for the, uh, the link in the summary. And if you don't want to look for the link, you want to message me and reach out, go ahead. 
You can also email me at gary at hvacknowitall.com. So I was using the Navac NRDD recovery machine this week. Very, very cool recovery machine. Now, the machine or the unit that I was recovering from the gas from had 40 pounds of gas in it. Now, I wanted to see in the first 15 minutes how much we recover from the machine. Because after that 50, I just, I was doing a lot of stuff, changing a contactor and prepping some other stuff. So in the first 15 minutes, I'm like, let's, let's time this, see how much gas we get out. So it was R22 in the first 15 minutes, we pulled 12 pounds. That's fast. It's got a dial on it that you can throttle liquid if you need to. That dial also allows you to purge out the machine, a single dial. It's got a digital display on it. It's got a brushless DC motor. Okay, it's got a, a two-row oversized condenser. Now, the fan, the condenser fan also moves tons of air. Like, it's, it's moving air to keep that thing cool. I really enjoyed the experience using it, and it's going to be my go-to for now. Um, as I'm doing some more testing and brand awareness with NAVAC, uh, very, very cool company navac they just kind of came out of nowhere with all this very cool stuff i'm really enjoying using all their stuff their vacuum pumps their flaring tool um and they got a lot more stuff on the go that i, I still got to try anyway guys the nrdd check it out i'm on the page right now navacglobal.com forward slash product forward slash compact recovery unit nrdd so check that out um, I know a lot of people love digital stuff and a lot of people like the old school way of doing things still. So I was able to get a side-by-side -side picture of two sets that Yellow Jacket has for digital, uh, digital torque wrench and, and a torque wrench that is, um, non-digital and has different fittings that attach to the, um, to the wrench itself, to the torque wrench itself. So the one I'm looking at here is called the Precision Torque Wrench. It's by Yellow Jacket. Okay. Um, Tighten to 10 to 80 Newton meters or 7.4 to 59 foot-pounds. It's got all kinds of different sizes. 17, 22, 24, 26, 27, and 29 millimeter. So a bunch of different sizes. So if you do a lot of mini splits, um, this might be a tool that you might want to look at. Okay, I am right now I'm at um, yellowjacket.com forward slash product slash precision torque wrench. Pretty cool tool. And if you if you like the, the, the digital stuff, they also have a digital torque wrench available as well. I have that one and I wish I, wish I worked on more mini splits so I could get more use out of it. Basically, you set it to the torque you want, and as you're tightening, there's a little uh, little LEDs that kind of creep up and then kind of beep when it's at the right spot. I've used it. I like it. But if you don't like digital and you kind of want to go the old school route, you can check this one out as well. Now, we're in the summer slash spring period here. We're going to be seeing hopefully warm weather. It hasn't warmed up here in Toronto the way it should be. Um, we've had a lot of rain. So the reason I bring it up is because a lot of pans, a lot of pans need to be treated because we get drain blocks, drain clogs, and we got to go and clear them. And those drain blocks or clogs basically cause a pan to overflow and can cause some water damage. So in order to treat a pan to prevent this from happening, Refrigeration Technologies has a great product for that. It's called Viper Pan and Drain Treatment. So you, you basically have to start with a clean drain pan, clean and dry, and you spray the Viper Drain um, Pan and Drain Treatment across the entire surface of the pan, okay? And it's got enzymes in there that, that eat away at sludge and break it down. And it also creates a slippery surface for all of that stuff to kind of uh, get out down the drain. 
while it's breaking it down. I've used it on a few pans um, and you never hear back from, you never hear back from them, the customer, about a clog. Um, and it's, once you apply it, um, you need to reapply it every three months. So you could probably get by a full summer, if not, maybe a summer and a half. Depending on where you are, you might have to do it two times. But it's a very cool product by Refrigeration Technologies. Re refrigeration or refrigetech.com forward slash pan and drain treatment. So AC Smart Seal, like I said, you hear the commercial off the top, every podcast, oil-based internal sealants for micro leaks, non-clogging. On their website at um, coolairproducts.net, they have instructions on how to inject it into a system. Now, don't get it confused with polymer-based sealants that react with air and moisture and can clog up a system because they harden, congeal, crystallize within a system if there's moisture and air there present, right? Oil-based. I actually still have a bottle of water in my truck that I injected a cartridge into, and that bottle of water has no hard deposits in it whatsoever. It just looks like oil and water separating. And that's been in my truck now for, I would say, at least six or seven months like that in that state. So check those out, guys. And House Call Pro, one last thing. You guys want to go paperless. House Call Pro has a program that will do that for you. Okay. Um, I got a little cool landing page. It even says, Gary recommends the best in the business to you. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. It's got my logo and my podcast logo there. And underneath it says, get your first month for only 19 bucks. And there's also a free trial. So if you guys go to housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know it all, that's the landing page. You can, um, let me see, let me scroll down here. Book a free demo. That's what I wanted to check. You can start a free trial for 14 days or book a free demo. Um, and listen, no strings attached. You don't like it. You don't use it. But from what I hear, a lot of techs in the industry love House Call Pro. So guys, check it out. Housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know it all. So you're, you're, you do a lot of high rise work currently, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I work in, uh, right in the center of downtown Los Angeles, California. And, uh, it's pretty much, I'm, I work for, I work for a large, uh, commercial, um, mechanical contractor. Uh, probably mm, within the, the five largest in, in North America. And it's, um, uh, you know, we cover a, a broad range of equipment. I mean, a huge range of equipment, pretty much everything, except we don't really do residential work, but anything commercial, industrial, um, institutional, and uh, we even have a, a, a national accounts division. So, you know, we do retail work. But uh, for myself, you know, most of our, our, our technicians and are divided into geographic regions. And some of those geographic regions, you might have a group of, say, a dozen to, you know, two dozen technicians in a group, and their geographic range will cover a pretty wide area. But the group I work in is so centralized in downtown Los Angeles, it's, that's all we do. There's a group of six of us, and that's we're, we're basically hemmed into about a three square mile area, and we don't stray outside that. So that's pretty much all I do, <laughs> you know. Cool. And in that area, there's high rises, and there's you know there's normal buildings. There's buildings anywhere from three and four story all the way up to eighty stories, and uh, and then we also do, um, you know, we'll do some. Uh, um, uh, public buildings, you know, arenas, sports arenas, um, stadiums, um, train stations, terminals, uh, transportation hubs, things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, and so I, I do a variety of buildings like that within downtown Los Angeles, but I do focus in on some high rises as well. So the high rises that you work in um, are they mm -hmm. 
like office buildings or is there like is it like a condo or like an apartment where there's tenants living in in the high rise that's actually a good question you know to lead into because when i first got started as we talked about last time uh when i started off um in the commercial aspect of hvac i started in, in market refrigeration so when i got to this company high rise work was new to me and the company I work for now has primarily focused in its history in, in over its entire history on mostly uh, office and retail. Okay. But in downtown Los Angeles in the last, mm, I'd say primarily 10 years, last decade, there has been a, a huge shift towards residential high rise. And uh, now when I say we don't do residential, I guess that's not exactly a true statement because we do, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not um, single family home residential or even, um, you know, multi-story apartments. It's high rise and condos and hotel. Um, and so there is a variety of different types of use buildings that we take care of. Now, um, like I said, the company I work for, we have, we're not just a service provider, but we're on a large scale a construction uh, company as far as high rises. So we're involved in the, uh, from the design stage up, we're designed in these high rises. And we're designed in, I'm sorry, we're involved in the design and build of these high rises from the design stage up. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, what I deal with is I deal with commercial, office, retail, uh, residential, condo, apartment, and hotel. So, and, and they do operate differently. And, and there's different concepts and how the cooling and heating is performed uh, based on um, the type of use that the building is designed for. So, yeah. So, if, if we stick yeah, to... Question, I, work on, I work on a variety. Okay, cool. So, if we stick to, like, one... Like, there, there's so many different types and varieties and variables involved in all these buildings. So, if we stick to, like, a, um, a high-rise building that has residential tenants with individual suites in that building. Um, is, is that a good place to start for you? Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. That's so, good. so if we take that building, let's say there's, I don't know, for example, 15 stories in that building, we're going to have a mechanical room with a bunch of equipment. That mechanical room in your experience is usually in the penthouse, like at the very top, or is it in the basement? Yeah, that depends. Um, it, it just depends on the design. It okay. depends on who designs it. But I, they, they, they go both ways. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll try to I'll come up with an example right now of some of the more recent ones that have gone, gone up and downtown Los Angeles recently that I've been involved in with the startups and commissioning and, and warranty work on these new buildings. So... The few that I've been involved with in recent, like within the last year to six months, six months to a year, the mechanical rooms are primarily at the top of the building. Mm -hmm. So generally, um, I'm I'm thinking of one right now that the way these units, the way these buildings are put together, these newer buildings, um, and this, this in herein lies the difference between a commercial building and a residential high-rise building is that generally um, the reason you're, you're able to put the mechanical room more towards the top is because you're not using, you're not using chillers <laughs> is basically it. You're not using chilled water in most of these buildings. In a commercial high-rise, you would be using primarily chilled water. Mm-hmm. In a residential high-rise, you're probably going to be using condensing water. Now, when I say those terms, um, Hopefully, um, well, maybe not hopefully, but more than likely, many of your listeners will understand what I'm talking about. But it's it's how we're accomplishing the cooling. So the mechanical room at the top of the building, up at the penthouse and the roof, you're going to have a couple of cooling towers. You're going to have circulating pumps um, for the cooling side. But the actual cooling is going to be performed in each individual unit on each floor. So if you have 
like I think you said a 15 story, you're using the example. Yeah. Of yeah. Story apartment building. Yeah. So if you have a 15 story apartment building, um, maybe there's two or three apartments or maybe let's say four or five even per floor. Each apartment is going to have its own, probably a, a water source heat pump of some type. Okay. Basically. Um, and it's going to use, it's going to have within that unit, of course, if, if, if the, your listeners are familiar with the water source heat pump, it's basically a package air conditioner um, minus the condenser is what it is. Gotcha. And and it, it has a condenser, but it, it basically, it's not a self-contained condenser. It's, it's, it's like a water-cooled condenser, right? Because it's, it's, it's circulating the uh, the tower water through. Exactly. Yeah. We use tower water. Yeah. And so we have we have a tower up on the roof that's gonna basically provide the uh, condensing loop temperatures we need in order to supply each of those water source heat pumps with the condensing temperature it needs to perform the condensing at each unit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then carry that water back to the roof and through the tower, let it be cooled, and then recirculate back into the into the loop at a lower temperature. Okay. So and at that point then if we if we don't have a chiller um when it comes to heating uh we we it's it's basically the same thing we we're just heating um each individual space w- with that heat pump yes and no okay and here this is an interesting concept too um and this would probably apply very much so more so in a climate such as yours and uh, in more f- further north like toronto where we have probably much uh, much colder winters mm-hmm. than we do in, 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 for instance, Los Angeles, California. Um, yes, you can obviously perform heating with a water source heat pump, but at some point, the condensing water temperature, of course, is going to be um, is going to be regulated by the out uh, the ambient temperature outside. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be affected by that. It's in, of course, BTU capacity of the water uh, because of the BTU capacity of the air is going to be lower dramatically. And at some point, your heating is going to become inefficient, which generally is anywhere below, they say, um, as I've looked through literature and studied it up, once you get below 55 degrees, um, your, your heating coefficient starts to suffer. So how we keep that in check Basically, we try to keep the condensing water year-round between 65 and 75 degrees. Okay. No matter if it's summer or winter. So using boilers to heat heat that water back up? Mm -hmm. Using boilers? Exactly. Okay, cool. So there's usually boilers in series with the the condensing water. Um, They'll have, uh, they'll basically be controlled by an outdoor temperature lockout, um, a thermostat, basically an outdoor temperature thermostat with a lockout um, set point. So once you get above a certain set point, a certain outdoor temperature, the boilers won't won't run. Um, but then after you get below a certain point, they will, but they will be enabled and then they will run uh, on demand based on the, the temperature of the condensing loop. So again, if the t- condensing loop gets down, I, mean, I want to say below... 65 in some cases it's 55 the boilers will temper the water um to bring up the temperature and keep it again between generally 65 and 75 degrees year round that way the the condensing water has adequate btu capacity to perform heating in the winter and of course it's uh it's able to at 75 no greater than 75 it's also able to absorb heat uh, for cooling in the summertime. Yeah, it makes so makes a ton that's of sense. Basically, how you, how you work that. Sorry. Yeah, it ma- makes a ton of sense to, to 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 reheat that water back up and then maintain that that loop temp um, because you're running a heat pump, so you you need to maintain the loop temp between that, like you said, between sixty five and seventy five to, in order for it to work properly. So, I mean, where where in the the suites would these heat pumps be? Like, would they be in a closet? Are they up in a ceiling or are they, um, in a, in, in a room of it, of its own type thing? Like where, how does that get set up? Um, we're seeing these turn out to be in closets more often than Okay. Often. Yep. And, uh, for, for each individual unit, they're generally going to be somewhere, uh, in the, in the center of the space, 
Um, but really, it just depends on wherever the the architect decides. The architect really doesn't even decide. It's more the engineer or, or based on wherever the designer can fit a space. Um, one of the unfortunate things is it's generally an afterthought. And uh, since it's design build a lot of the time, they, they, they do provide a space, but uh, it's it's generally not always in the most um, convenient location mm-hmm. or the most efficient. Now, we do have a building that recently went up uh, downtown Los Angeles. It's been commissioned for probably about, I'd say, nine months. And in most of the uh, suite designs, it's the uh, water source heat pump is immediately upon entering the front door or the entry door of the apartment immediately, uh, either to the right or left when you come in the door, very close to the front door. Um, And it's designed with a uh, partially louvered door to pull return back basically through the suite to that spot. And usually, as we know, and and most of us know, um, who've been in the trade a little while, that, you know, thermodynamics and airflow, most efficient use is you want your return somewhere centralized in the space Mm -hmm. so that you get your best mixed air temperature over by the front door is not usually the best idea. Yeah, exactly. But that's generally where they are. Yeah. And, uh, um, it also makes it sometimes inconvenient to work on them um, because the door is opening and closing, and uh, it's not necessarily the best spot. Um, there are generally in high rises, um, most of these newer buildings too, with a modern design, you, you generally have an exposed ceiling. Um, there's not drop ceiling, especially in high rises too. Generally, you can see the slab above for the next floor above. So there's no overhead space that they want these units to be seen in so generally closets are chosen yeah again so always the best location my my experience my experience is kind of opposite of that it's so i'll tell you residential and commercial and commercial type high rises i've worked in and 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 i was kind of surprised to hear you say it the way you said it so i've been in some office buildings like i don't know let's say 10 stories high and it's the same setup that you're describing it's um it's a cooling tower and it's boilers to maintain a loop um, temperature all year round. And then there's water source heat pumps up in ceiling spaces all over the place. And they're in dreadful, dreadful areas, like spots to get up to. Like it's, they just jam them in and then they do renos and reno after reno and reshape the the space. And they put walls up right right below the, uh, the heat pump. So there, there's that. And those are office buildings from what I've seen. Now there's older condos and older apartment buildings that I've been in where they utilize, um, and I've actually lived in one of these, they utilize a chiller and a boiler. Um, and then in the space, they have a fan coil. So basically in the summertime, the chiller runs, it circulates water, um, to a three-way valve in the fan coil. So if you're not cooling, there's still flow back to the chiller. Um, and then if you are cooling, basically it's a valve that just opens and chilled water runs through a coil and the fan blows across it. And then in the winter time, they do a complete switchover. Um, they shut the chillers down, uh, they start the boilers up and they, they do a valve switchover. And then it's the same thing. The, the hot water runs through the fan coil and, um, and then the blower blows across it and that's how you heat, heat the space. But those are older buildings. I don't know what they're doing. Um, in the newer buildings that are going up, probably what you're de- you're describing, I, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 what you described, I have seen, I have seen both of those other types, of, uh, both of the two types of systems you described. The commercial office setup, absolutely, with uh, the water source heat pumps basically in the ceiling, over tops of people's desks, um, built in between two walls. <laughs> yeah, it's a complete pain in the ass. In just in just awful, awful locations. Yeah, in a commercial setup, yeah. I've seen multiple uh building after building set up like that. And yeah, they're nightmares. And uh and that's generally you're gonna see that usually in buildings um under ten stories. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's once you get above a certain height, uh you you start to things start to change but yeah um water source heat pumps running off of a cooling tower in a, an office space 
Um, yeah, you basically, the way I learned it, getting into the trade and even going through apprenticeship training, you see different uh, different concepts at different, basically different sizes and different heights of buildings. Basically, uh, a, a two-story building, you can do almost everything with package units and duct chases. Once you get to three stories, sometimes two, even two to three stories, uh, you might have a floor full of fan coils and then the top floor, all package units. Um, and you get above three to four stories and now uh, it, it becomes, it makes more sense to go with a tower and a bunch of water source heat pumps because you basically run out of space for ducts, uh, for ducting is, is once you get too tall and you run out of roof space for equipment and you start running out of um, uh, overhead space for ductwork. So then that's why it makes more sense to run one loop. The ductwork can all be localized to each individual water source heat pump. Um, and then once you get above a certain amount of uh, levels above that, let's say anywhere above five to 10 stories. Um, now the size of your cooling tower is going to have to get really big to support that many water source heat pumps. So um, it starts to get, uh, you know, your dynamics start to change. And so you start to see different concepts take place in different heights of buildings. And then that's why when you get into really high, high end commercial, tall high rises, that's why they go with chilled water. And you can put that anywhere. Um, you can put it in the basement. You can put it on the roof. So long as your towers are outside, mm-hmm. pipe it, and then you just pipe water all over the place to, to usually large air handlers per each floor. And then those are usually tied to a central uh, uh, air air loop, which then uh, is connected to terminal boxes like VAVs, mm-hmm. variable air volume boxes. And then that's what controls each zone. So, And that's what provides cooling and heating for each zone. So you start to, once you get above a certain height and you keep going higher and higher, you kind of have to subdivide up how the cooling is done even more so so that you can increase your tonnage without taking up massive amounts of space. And that's why chillers become super efficient for high rises because you can provide um, the maximum amount of cooling with the minimum amount of equipment. And really high rises are, are relatively new to me. It's something that I've only been involved in in the last five years. and uh, But I kind of got thrown into it and immersed in it, and I've kind of uh, had to absorb every aspect of it from, as we talked about, from you know, uh, centrifugal chillers to uh, boilers. Um, one thing we didn't touch on, which I was prepared to talk about in depth. <laughs> okay, go go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, no, is uh, in, more in commercial is... Uh, uh, pneumatics and uh, double duct systems and things like that. But the truth of the matter is that high rises, and I'm kind of glad you went this direction with this conversation, high rises are headed very much in, in a lot of um, city centers toward a more high rise, a uh, more residential high rise aspect. And it seems to be because a lot of downtown sectors in a lot of the major cities in North America, um, I'll bet Toronto included, Los Angeles, for sure, and others I know of are becoming more uh, community and village type areas. Oh yeah, big time. People are migrating towards the cities, yeah, or you know, to to basically to to live. For a long time, they were they were considered you know um, the, the commercial sector. That's where everybody goes to work, and then they, they drive off to the suburbs every night, and you know, bedroom communities. But I'm finding a lot of downtowns are turning into communities and villages with a lot of residential high-rise. So that is becoming a large um, portion of the of the construction now. And so it is important to learn these aspects because they are different. They are definitely different than the commercial um, strategies of cooling and heating uh, for high-rises. So it's good. It's good to reflect on. And it, it's good to hone our skills on that and learn as much as we can about that. So... Again, I'm I'm learning as I go as well in this in this aspect of high rise work as as it starts to uh, shift and change and evolve in, in the way it's being accomplished and the uses of these buildings too. Mm-hmm. They're becoming, you know, high rise residential. Yeah, and and it makes sense for developers too to put up a high rise because I mean, I don't believe they charge, well, if they do, 
they, they don't, <clears throat> there's they, they charge for the land. You buy the land. You don't buy the air above the land. So if if you build up, I mean, you can put way more spaces, residential spaces or office spaces going upwards and you can going outwards on land that's already occupied by by other buildings. So that's that's one of the reasons. And, and the population in a city grows, the people need places to live and building up is probably the best solution in a lot of cases. But it just it's, it's amazing to me that in the downtown cores, what people are paying for basically like a one room apartment, like not like one bedroom, like a one room condo or, or apartment. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and they're tiny and, and some yeah. people are paying $2,000, $3,000 a month to stay in these things in a downtown core, but they're paying for the, they're paying for the, um, the convenience of, of living, living downtown and the entertainment and all that kind of stuff. Right. 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 One interesting thing that I was just thinking of too, though, as we were talking about that, um, it occurred to me is is um, a really important thing um, that, that technicians, some of these guys listening to this, and, and and ladies listening to this podcast might come across, whether in commercial work or residential high rise work, if if that's what they do, like I do, is is uh, you're going to see one of the ways that the building owners or building management keeps track of usage of your equipment. The high rises, obviously they're designed to provide cooling to all the tenants um, through the equipment that's already in the building, the chillers, the pumps, uh, the air handlers, the the variable air volume boxes or we call them VABs or terminal boxes. That's all installed in the building before the tenant gets there. But that's what we call house air. That's the tenant you know, just by in the terms of their lease, that's that's what they get from the building. However, sometimes like say like a law firm moves into a couple floors of a high rise and they have a data room. And that data room has to have uh after hours cooling after the house air goes off. Say the chillers don't run all night. Maybe they have a pony chiller, maybe they don't. So at night you don't have chilled water. So they'll put in what they call a supplemental unit. So a supplemental unit will uh, have to have its own uh, source of cooling. Like I said, probably a water source heat pump, but if it's data center, it's not going to be heat pumps. It's just going to be a dedicated cooling unit, water cooled. So um, they're probably going to have uh, it on condensing water instead of chilled water. So that, that way when the chiller shut down, it doesn't really matter, but they'll probably have pumps and a tower running 24 seven and, you'll have a separate loop in the building running condensing water, not chilled water. Well, how does the building know how often, you know, or how does the building basically uh, keep track of the usage of that supplemental, even though it now belongs to this company? Well, they have on the condensing water, just as it goes into uh, passing the, the building's valves and then going into the space for the tenant, they'll have what they call a flow meter on the piping and it's basically an inserted probe usually inside a a special fitting and inside that fitting in the piping there'll be like a little paddle wheel or something that rotates or uh, an inline centrifugal axial vane paddle or something that like a like a rotating uh uh inline uh turbine like a little turbine and then and that will calculate the water flow going through that pipe to that supplemental unit for the, for the tenant. And it, it'll be hooked to one of the main manufacturers of these is Otacon. And it'll be hooked from there via a cable to a meter, a meter metering box somewhere nearby. And it will calculate the BTUs per hour being used. So the building can keep track of how much of their water the tenant is using via this flow meter. And in some high rise, residential high-rise buildings, they're doing the same thing for each individual tenant because they're using the building's water to cool their house or, I mean, their apartment or their condo, um, their water source heat pump in their condo. So every time it kicks on, the regulating valve or the water valve will open, water starts flowing, and as it enters their apartment, the flow meter will calculate water usage because they're basically using building water to do it. So that's one way they keep track of everybody's water usage. So sometimes when you're in this 
you know, if you're in this trade, you're working in high rises, you'll come across these things. You'll see these things um, sticking down into the piping. And it's usually a long stainless steel rod going through almost what looks like a compression fitting, generally about three quarters of an inch to an inch on a T in the pipe. Maybe if you've never seen one before, you wonder, what is this thing? Says Onicon or something on it. And maybe there's, there's other brands too, but they're probably among the most prevalent. Well, that's a flow meter, just so you know. And there's times we're asked to replace them. The building may ask us to do it because they stop operating for some reason and they're basically giving free water to the tenant for however long it takes before they can get that meter replaced. Um, yeah, and, I'm, look, uh, I'm looking at one right now, actually. On Onicon yeah. um, BTU meter. And it's a funny story. <laughs> What what you described uh, with the server room um, and the and the supplemental cooling, I had a building at one point. Now, I, now I've seen this done many ways. I've seen it done where there's a server room and there's like a lever, and they'll pipe refrigerant pipe up to a roof or a balcony or something and have a remote condenser. But I've seen it done the way you're talking about before. Um, so there was this building. It had a room and it had three water cooled supplemental units for some. They weren't server rooms. They were like uh, meeting rooms where they needed extra cooling at times that the building couldn't provide for that space. So right. the the girl there, um, she was like the facilities manager for the space. She said to me, can you get us some BTU meters? And this is going back like 10 years. And I'm like, uh, BTU meter? I'm like, those don't exist. I don't, like, I've never heard of those. Like, what do you mean? And then um, about... I don't know, a few weeks later, I was talking to one of the, the senior techs at the company. I'm like, you ever heard of a BTU meter? He's like, no. And I'm like, well, I just told this girl one didn't exist. So I'm, I'm just thinking now. So then we looked it up and it's a, like you described, it, it takes flow um, through, through the water side, measures it. But there's also um, a uh, temperature, it takes temperature in and out because I guess it uses the GPM formula um, the BTU with the GPM divided by 500, whatever. I don't have the formula in front of me right now, but it, it yeah. has that built inside of it. So it takes the flow in GPM and it takes the Delta T across the water and it calculates the BTUs. And I'm like, man, I, I told this. So ever, ever since I found that out, I'm like, when somebody tells me about something, I don't dismiss it <laughs> because I don't want to look like a, like a fool. I look it up first to make sure that what I'm saying is right. So let me add to the conversation by just touching on makeup airs just for a couple of minutes. Now, a makeup air is used to pressurize. Let's, let's talk about the residential high-rise where we have individual spaces or units, okay? And we have a hallway. And in that hallway, we have doors left and right with individual units. Now, we want to pressurize the hallways with a makeup air unit. The reason we do that is we want to keep all those smells contained in those spaces. We don't want to smell eight different dinners being cooked at once. It'd be kind of gross, right? The other reason is we want to make up air that is lost in those, in those suites through kitchen exhaust, bathroom exhaust, dryer exhaust. And if you look closely, a lot of these suites will have the front door will have a gap in the bottom. That gap is there to allow the pressurized air in the hallways to get into that space to make up that air. Now, a lot of people are under the misconception that a makeup air is supposed to heat the space, but it's not. It, it does heat the air if needed. If you're in a cold climate, you're bringing in outside air. It heats it up. It tempers it basically to, let's say, 70 degrees, may, may Fahrenheit, maybe a little bit cooler, maybe a little bit warmer, depending, depending on how the customer wants it to run. But it's not there to heat the space, just to temper the air. And a lot of customers I go to, well, my makeup air is not heating the space. Well, it's not there to heat the space. It's just there to bring in fresh air and temper it so it's not coming in freezing cold. So on the flip side of that, we need to shut that makeup air down if there's ever a fire in the building. And my buddy, Travis Henkel kind of wrote, wrote me up a, a kind of point form, rough kind of paragraph on how that all works. 
in his experience. Um, so basically, let's say you have a fire, okay? Um, so he wrote, during a fire alarm event, the individual floor level smoke slash fire dampers on the combination um, makeup air riser could be controlled manually from a fire panel enunciator, blah, 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 blah. So typically, the makeup air unit will shut down no makeup air to the hallways during a fire and all the smoke slash fire dampers on all the floors except for the fire floors will close okay at that point we will start up an exhaust fan so we are going to be pulling the smoke out of that floor now he goes on to say that fire professionals should be They'll, they'll, they'll arrive on site very quickly, but there might be fire wardens that work in the building or are appointed fire wardens if they live in the building. They're supposed to go to the bottom and they're supposed to open up the stairwell doors at ground level, from what I understand here. Okay. So basically, if there's a fire, we're going to shut down the makeup air. We're going to close all the fire dampers to every floor, but leave the fire floor dampers open and start an exhaust fan so we extract the smoke out. Okay, this is from Travis's experience. If anybody else has a different method of how this is done at a building they work at or know of, please reach out to me because I'm interested in knowing. Because not, not, not everything is designed the same everywhere in the world and codes differ, okay? So if there is something that is different from this, please let me know. Got to thank Mario for getting onto the podcast again, second time. We're very, very knowledgeable man in this, this industry. And I'm thankful that he's taking his time to get onto the podcast and share it, share his knowledge with us. But it's, it's, it's crazy how the HVAC industry is so diverse. I mean, we could have a thousand podcasts and we could keep going because there's so many people out there and everybody's got a story. There's so many manufacturers. There's so many buildings. Like, think about all the buildings in North America. Think about all the buildings in the world. Think about how much cooling and how much heating equipment there is to provide heating and cooling for, for these buildings, these occupants. So, like I said, a thousand podcasts, we could keep going. I mean, on Instagram... Instagram, I could go on Instagram and Instagram's a great platform because everybody kind of creates their own self brand and you see what everybody's up to. You go on Instagram, you could scroll through a bunch of different profiles and go, I want to talk to that guy. I want to talk to that girl because they're interesting and they'll have a story. Even if you don't talk about anything educational, just talk about their story. It's, it's, it's awesome. So we talked about high rise stuff, this podcast. And how some buildings are set up, some commercial buildings, some residential buildings. And it's enjoyable. One thing that came up last week, and I may have an opportunity to dig deeper into this, is a discussion around remote um, technical support. Now, not like a manufacturer technical support where you're sitting on hold for two hours and you don't get the information you need. Sometimes you do. Some of them are great. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes you call them, you sit on hold forever and you get some entry-level person that just takes the information and then you got to wait for a call back. Frustrating, right? So I had the opportunity just to have a couple discussions and look into a few things. And... The concept is this, and I did pose the question. You guys may have seen the question and answered to it. The concept is this. You have a very, very knowledgeable senior tech that sits remotely anywhere, really anywhere, as long as they have a laptop and an internet connection. Okay, the person out in the field has a camera attached to them somewhere, right? With audio as well. That person goes out, it doesn't matter what they're working on, furnace, chiller, air handler, AC, two ton, 120 ton, whatever. 
the person on the other end is going to be knowledgeable and going to be able to help them through the issue. And they're going to be on the same team, like work for the same company. There are companies that have done this. I read an article uh, maybe two years ago on camera glasses and how some companies were utilizing camera glasses not only for help from someone that sits in an office remotely or wherever they are from home on the beach, sitting at a cafe, but to prove to customers that stuff was actually wrong with their machines and to show customers all the issues because some, some customers don't care to go into the mechanical room or go on the roof or wherever. Right? So if you can take a video or snapshots of stuff as you're working, which many of us do already with, with a phone, but if you're wearing camera glasses, it's a lot easier because you have your hands free, right? Um, it generates more business because you can actually prove to them what's going on. Say this and this and this and this all needs to be done anyway. So I have the, I have an opportunity possibly to dig deeper into this. And I know some people wouldn't like the job of being that remote tech because they like to hold the tools. They like to work on the machinery. They like to talk to the customers. That's completely understandable. Um, some are like, nah, this, this will never happen. Nah, this, this is not, this is not true, but it's already true. It's already happening. And if you can look forward, if you have like, forward-thinking vision, like a forward-thinking mind. This is happening. This is going to happen soon. When I say soon, that's a relative term. Could be 10 years, 20 years, but you're going to see a lot of this happening in every industry, not just HVAC. That's my opinion. I can't prove it just yet, but that's my opinion. Anyway, again, Mario, thank you. I'm out. Happy HVACing.